Emotions are the very core of what drives us. No matter what project you're working on, emotions will be experienced in many ways. This week, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Thryn and Adam about their upcoming game, Ryan, a narrative tabletop role-playing game set in a world of moving titans and grand forces. We talk about working as a team, designing games, and fine-tuning your project. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover projects that you may have missed. This week, I am really excited to talk about a very interesting upcoming project, and I have two wonderful creators here, Adam and Thryn. Thank you so much for joining me this week to talk about Ryan. Hi, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you. So before we really get in any deeper and talk about this really beautiful system, can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Do you want to go first? or You've started now, so it's okay, you. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm Adam Dixon. I am, I guess, a freelance game designer. Uh, I work on a whole range of like different kinds of like game design projects, from, like puzzle games to corporate, for corporations and like some video games for museums and stuff like that. And then... Outside of that, like the stuff that I really love doing is I, alongside Rin, have a co-op uh, who make tabletop RPGs. Um, so yeah, we, we've made like a few different things. Uh, we've made a bunch of mixtapes based on like bangers. Like uh, Jolene is probably the <laughs> one that got shared the most. Uh, so like, yeah. And then we released our first like zine quest game last year which is a game called small town skeletons which is about being a teenager in a town that what's the pitch again for uh being a teenager <laughs> in a town that is cursed where all teenagers are skeletons because being a teenager is simply not horrible enough <laughs> that that's that's I... it yeah i remember seeing that for the first time small town skeletons and thinking it was one of the funniest and just spot on representations of teenage life that I had seen in a long time. I absolutely <laughs> adored it. That is very flattering. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're both from Northern England and we wrote it to be like a very accurate portrayal of our own teenage lives. And like, <laughs> I think it's that thing of like, if you write for yourself, like sometimes it works for other people as well, which is great. And yeah, Prin is the other half of shambles. Oh yeah, hi, I'm also here. <laughs> My name is uh, Thryn Henderson. I'm a game designer as well and a games researcher. I work a lot in kind of like DIY game spaces, zine game spaces, those kind of things. And yeah, we we make weird tabletop role-playing games. We make LARPs that you play in the mm. woods. Um, we make games about pretending to be David Attenborough that film business cards. We do we do a bunch of stuff. We have fun. We have fun. <laughs> yeah. So before we actually hop into this game, how'd you two end up working together then? Uh, I used to um, produce an event that happened in London. I did not live in London at the time, but I produced the event, which was called 
video brains and it was kind of this uh, monthly themed thing where game designers would come and give little talks kind of silly little talks about ideas that we liked that month um and I think we met through that and we both really wanted a space where we could do the same kind of thing but for playing tabletop games we wanted like a day where you could theme around something like you know ghosts or making a cup of tea or the ocean and then we would pick all these weird little indie games that require quite a lot of specific setup they need to be in a certain place or they need really weird equipment or they just like you have to really be in the mindset to play them you know like a lot of the uh, 200 word rpgs things like that Mm -hmm. um and we wanted that very much so we made it (laughs) and uh we ended up making a lot of games for the events to sort of fit in the themes to fill in gaps that we thought were interesting and then it was just kind of like well what if we just made games all the time together what if we just did that (laughs) i absolutely love that that's great wow i'm really happy i was able to get both of you on here then so yeah yeah. so what is ryan then um so ryan is like i guess our biggest project in a lot of ways like Finn was talking about like all of the like silly games we made and like I think we have a lot of fun in making the games that we do, whereas, like, Ryan is, like, the big Powered by the Apocalypse game that we're currently working on. And Ryan is, like, a wild fantasy game um, in which players explore this world that is shaped by these strange, weird titans that are, like, the husks of gods. And it's all about playing as people in a world that is, like, bigger than you and stranger than you and exploring, like, the kinds of communities that get built and exploring the kinds of, like, lives that people lead within that space, if that makes sense. No, I get that. It is definitely our biggest project by far, um, but I think that came a lot from... <laughs> we... Am I allowed to say we don't like D&D very much? Yep, we, yep. We don't like playing D&D very yep, much. 100%. But, yeah, or at all, in fact. But we both really like the idea of really long-form play, right? Like, there are people who've had yeah. D&D campaigns that go on for, like, literally years. Mm-hmm. And it's wild to me that you have that, but there's no system for, like, how the world around you changes or how your community changes or how you as a person change. And I think a lot of Ryan is looking into that kind of stuff, right? It's the idea of, like, if you play over a really long time, who you are fundamentally will be different at the end of that session than from the beginning. And I think a lot of the systems really feed into that. Yeah, I think, like, I always pitch it as a kind of, like, slow fantasy. Like, I I think I've run a lot of sessions of it. um, And, like, one of the things I like about it is it, like, runs a lot slower than, like, a standard tabletop role-playing game. There's, like, lots of, like, introspectiveness, I guess, both in terms of, like, looking at your own characters, but also, like, there's lots of space to just explore the world and... I mean, explore in like a couple of ways. It could be like going into a place and learning something, but it's also very like in the best ways that like a lot of indie RPGs are like very collaborative and lots of shared world building together and sitting down and going, okay, we're in this new area. There's a new Titan here. What is that Titan like? And then those Titans influence the world around it. So like what emotion or concept does that Titan embody? And then you start to like build out from there. So it could be like you have a Titan that is about uh, like... Uh, preservation for example we we played a, a titan called Pre- a preservation one of our games and 
that entire region then like reflects that. So like it could be that there are like Argon rivers running through that place or like salt flats and tar pits and things like that, things that you'd associate with that kind of concept. And then when you play in that area, you're you're seeing like, okay, how do people live there? Like how what communities get formed in a place that is largely salt flats where there's this big weird titan who wants to just come along and pick up anything interesting and like preserve it so you can't use it anymore or whatever. Like like it's a lot of those kinds of stories, I think. Yeah. Okay, I get that. That's that's wonderful, actually. I really like that. Just this changing land this landscape that's changing because of you both said it right at the beginning, things that are way bigger than yourself. Mm. And I, th- I think your system really lends a lot of weight to that because characters in this game are made up a little bit differently than other powered by the apocalypse systems. So things like strength, vitality, all that basic stat stuff isn't there in the same way. Do you want to talk a little bit about statistics for characters in this? Yeah, um, so the main thing that, like, defines your character in Rhine is the emotions that you have. Um, so when you create a new character in Rhine, um, you basically name, like, three important emotions for your character. Like, three things that your character feels, good or bad, that are important to them right now. And when you roll, um, it's like standard Powered by the Apocalypse rolling, so 2d6 and add a stat. Um you add one of your emotions. So when you go to make a move, the question that gets asked is, okay, how are you feeling right now? And it's kind of it's kind of interesting to me because like it kind of makes a lot of sense um when I think about like how I do like day-to-day tasks or something like that. Is if I'm like, I don't know, cooking a meal. Like I have a base level of skill there, but like what actually makes a difference in how well that meal gets cooked or whether I keep my cool depends on how I'm feeling that day. Like, if I'm tired, I might cook something that's not as good. If I'm, like, in a really good space, like, I'm going to do better at that. If, if I'm stressed because I'm cooking a meal for a load of people and I lose my cool, like, that's when that goes badly, right? So, yeah, it's kind of honing in on that. And as well as those, like, three named emotions, you also have, like, emotions. You have a stack called fabric, which just is everything else. So you're never locked into those three emotions. You go with, like, this is how my character feels. If it's a named emotion, you roll with that stat. If it's not, you roll with fabric, which just kind of covers everything. And then you also, we're talking about like how the territories work. You have one that's tied to the territory you're in. So like if you're in a place of preservation or if you're in like I don't know, a territory around like happiness or grief or something like that, you get that emotion as a bonus because that's the thing you're playing with. Like that's something that you becomes important because you're in that space and that's what the landscape feels like. So yeah, it's kind of using emotions as stats in interesting ways. Yeah, it it most certainly does draw out a very different type of game. And I think that makes it really unique because I can't, there's not too many games where emotions or how the character feels seems to be front and center. Um, A lot of the times it is flavor or sometimes it's a consequence. But (laughs) yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But putting that foot forward really, really pushes for a long form narrative driven game. And I'm guessing that's what drew you both to using the Powered by the Apocalypse system then. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. 
I mean, also, and this is just like a personal preference, I just really like a d6, right? Like, it's just a satisfying yeah. dice. I don't like having to count too high. <laughs> like, I like the simplicity of it. Um, but yeah, I think, like, there are, you mentioned, like, there are not a lot of games that kind of use emotions that way. And we did look at a couple of others really early on when we were working um, with the first version of what is now Rhine. And I think the thing that kind of bothered us about them was how static they are. Um, and so a, a part of the reason for Powered by the Apocalypse being something that appeals to me a lot, I think, is how fluid it is in the way that you can kind of interpret your character and moves and things. But we've also built a lot into Ryan above the kind of standard Powered by the Apocalypse ideals about like shifting those emotions as you play and replacing them or locking them off or making them function differently, kind of depending on what's happened to you, just to step a little bit away from like the idea of, oh, you can feel four things and those four things are how good you are at stuff. You know, it's more like you feel a lot of stuff all the time because humans are messy and complicated. And that's probably worse when <laughs> God has been cleaved in half and lives on your doorstep. <laughs> and just mess around with it, you know, feel it out as you go. And, and that's fine. Like, it's fine to be messy with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we struggled for a while with, like, with having stats as emotions, how do you, like, advance or change those meaningfully? So for, for like, a while, they, they sat in that standard apocalypse thing where you get an advancement and then it's like, oh, you can add plus one to a stat. And it's like, when your stats are emotions, that feels really weird. So, like, I think in the later latest versions, we've kind of shifted that into the actual play itself. So, like, as you roll, if you roll doubles, like, a thing changes in your emotion, and, like, over time, you take... There's a thing called strain, which is, like, I might create a belief or swear an oath or, like, do something rooted in that emotion, and over time, those emotions you have shift and change. So you might start play with, like, joyful, stubborn, and careful or something like that, and then, like, five sessions in, you've got a different palette of emotions that you're playing with. Maybe one of those is still there, or two of those are still there, but maybe you've got one of them is just kind of, like, narrowed a bit, another one, you've got a brand new emotion as well that is important to you. So it's kind of, we want it to be shifting, and we want it to kind of allow you to explore how your character is changing in the story as well. And relating it back specifically to Powered by the Apocalypse, like, I think as a system, it's very forgiving of that kind of stuff, right? Like, the mm. idea of they're not having to be one way that you make a Powered by the Apocalypse game. It's got the spirit. So I think that was enough for us. <laughs> it's such a flexible system and it's really easy. Like It's not easy to hack, but it's <laughs> it's definitely one of the more adaptable. It's hack friendly. So mm. yeah, I, I definitely think it helps with that. It's very interesting, because, like, you asked that question of, like, why did we start Powered by the Apocalypse? And, like, another reason it started as Powered by the Apocalypse is... So, me, Frin, and a few of us do an actual play podcast um, called These Flimsy Rituals. And Ryan was originally developed for that podcast. And so as, like, I, like, GM that podcast, so, like, I was looking for something that felt like it would work well for a podcast, and, like, Powered by the Apocalypse okay. works really well for that which is part of the reason why we chose that system and it's kind of interesting because like the very first version that we played for the podcast was very much just like let's just hack this game and this game and this game together and like cobble it together and make it work and we'll learn what the world is like and we'll learn what this is about if we play and then 
like Powerpoint Apocalypse is very easy to hack in that way. And then you get into the development bit of it where you're like changing things like, oh, wow, this suddenly gets very hard as you're like dealing with like, okay, I want this to work in a way that is going to work every time for players that aren't me. I don't know if any of the original systems are still in the game. I think we might have been them all off at this point. Yeah. There's lots of like small changes, yeah. Oh, I love that. So one of the big things, too, about Powered by the Apocalypse is basic moves and playbook mm. moves. And one of the best parts from what I saw was that you've really beautifully broken down basic moves. You've expanded on them in some ways, but you've built them into social gather story and confrontation. And mm. each of these obviously can advance the story in one way or another. Can you talk a little bit about how you decided to break those down? What was important and what kind of got thrown at the wayside because it maybe felt redundant? Yeah. I think for a while we had basic moves and that was like one big category and then we had that like distinction of like them got bond moves and like those are two categories. And I realized as I was developing stuff, there was like this category of moves that was forming that felt more like story moves. So what I mean by that is like they're not things you're gonna roll with all of the time, but you might roll with them like once every ten sessions, but they're still important. So it could be stuff like um it's stuff like going on a journey or like starting a project or like the seasons changing and things like that. So like we started that category there as like this is something, I think one of the hardest things when you're learning a Powered by the Apocalypse game is like, what are the moves that I need to know? What are their triggers? I need to learn all of these and like internalize all of these. So story moves is a way of going like, you probably don't need to learn all of these. Just know that they're there and then like you can play towards them when you need them. And then like as we developed it a bit more, it just felt like we had this category of basic moves and like you, you're sat there with like 10 moves in this bucket and it's like, this isn't really useful if you've not played the game before for learning stuff. So I think like going into like social and gather and confrontation, I think those are the categories, there might be another one. Uh, risky as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, was basically, I just wanted to give a tool for players to be like, okay, I'm in this situation, I'm talking to someone. Okay, these are social moves. I can just look at those and these three moves are going to be what's most likely to be triggered here. Or like I'm in a fight, or like I'm climbing, I'm climbing a mountain, or overcoming like an obstacle in the wilderness. Like I'm probably going to look at the risky moves. So I just wanted like a way of just signaling to players where they should be looking as they're looking for move triggers. To an extent as well, like the category of basic moves was functionally useless because of the way we've set rulebooks up, in that they're not necessarily divided by any kind of like profession or particular skill. Like a couple of the magic-based ones are specifically about the ways you interact with magic personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are kind of just the, the social aspect of your character, right? So the way you connect with other people. Um, so a lot of the idea of like basic moves was really weird because th- they weren't just like, oh, these are the things everyone can do. Because some of that is parceled out into role books and you do it in specific ways depending on who you are. So it was more useful to break it down into specific categories and say, okay, well, I guess there's a bunch of stuff that everyone can do socially. There's a bunch of stuff that everyone can do confrontationally. And if you want to do those, that's where you find them. So it's like a sorting tool then. Basically. And yeah, I I think one of the things like we make clear in the book as well is like, 
It's a sorting tool, but like they're not hard categories. Like we talk about social moves, but like if you've got the move, one of the moves is like convince, like you're talking to someone, you're trying to convince them of something. Like that doesn't just have to be social. You could be convincing someone by like, I don't know, like maybe you're threatening them. Yeah, like like it could be a physical threat. It could be like duping them or something like that. It doesn't necessarily always have to come in that come up in that situation. But I think it's it's about like developing degrees of mastery in the game. I think because mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. what learning a game is, right? Like. And I think for newer players, it's good to have those categories where it's like, okay, I just need to know roughly blah, blah, blah. I don't need to remember all of these triggers. I can just remember there are risky moves. Okay, I'm doing something. This feels risky. How does this fit or whatever? And just allowing players to, to fold into that. I think you ask about like whether we've discarded moves and all of the time. Oh, <laughs> um, so many. Could... <laughs> <laughs> we could build a second book from the moves we've discarded. <laughs> I feel like every time I go into basic moves, sometimes it's because something's triggered in me. I'm like, oh, we need a move to do this. And like every time I'm like, I can only add another move in if I get rid of two other basic moves. Like, so I just get to the point where it feels a bit long. And like, so it constantly goes from like this list of like 15 moves to a list of 10. And it's just like fluctuating between those. Some of them just kind of got conflated together. Some of them were like, you don't need two separate moves to do this basic thing, right? It's the same idea with different flavor. Let's make it one move. Some of them got moved to roll books because we were like, well, can everyone do that? Maybe that's a specific thing. And then some of them, yeah, just just did get binned. It's like, well, we've got too many. This isn't basic anymore. Yeah, like we had a general protect move as one of the, like, bond moves you could do. And it was like, this is sort of nice, but, like, the game's not really... The game's, like, quite a low-violence game and there's not a lot of fighting in it. Like, when we did the podcast... There's maybe one episode out of 30 where we had any kind of like physical confrontation. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, it was like, well, actually, it feels like this could just go into a role book called The Guardian, which is all about being like a fighter who has like a child in their care. And it like explores oh. like, <laughs> how, how do you balance those things? How do you like balance the violence of your past with like taking care of someone and, and stuff like that? So it felt like, oh, actually, it feels like that role book, because so many of their moves kind of lean into the protect move like why don't we just make that their defining move and it just felt so much stronger already as like this is the thing you can do you can like take harm and consequences for other people felt like like a much bigger statement to be in that space that feels really appropriate yeah i can understand that mm. we've actually been talking a lot about uh role books and uh in other powered by the apocalypse systems they might be called playbooks but we really haven't defined what they are. So for those of you listening, a playbook or a rulebook is kind of like a class or what defines what your characters can and can't do compared to another character. And I really, the ones that I've seen, I really like. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a brief description on the, the four or five that you have? Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember what's in Now we have to remember which yeah. ones are in the playbook. <laughs> oh, no. The yeah. guide. <laughs> yeah. The heart. And then two others. The Tethered and the Weaver. Yeah, so in the play kit is the Heart, who is like a mix between like a storyteller and a priest or like a radical. There's someone who like represents a concept in the world. Um, 
And uh, it's kind of just exploring, like, what does that mean to represent that? Do you keep faith with with that concept or the institution that represents it? Uh, the guide is all about going into landscapes and knowing them, like, better than anyone else. So you get, like, some home territories that are yours and that you know. And it's kind of, like, one of the things you want to do with that is, like, not make it too rangery. Like, it's not about going to places... Like, it can be about going to places and exploring them, but it can also be about, like... I am someone who, like, goes trading between different markets in this area. I know all the paths and, like, the animals, and I know what that means if, like, a bird sings that. Like, so you can go either way with that, about being really knowledgeable or, like, really explorative. The Weaver is someone who does, like, a kind of magic. They're kind of like a witchy character. Um, We've not really spoken about it, but the way a lot of the magic works in Vine is that humans have both, like, a body and a spirit. And if you imagine, like, that spirit is a big web of threads, like, connecting the world, like, made out of, like, concept and emotion, that's what the weaver plays with. Like, so they tie those into patterns to cast, like, small spells and magics. Um, And then the tethered is a ghost. So they are... You can play most... Yeah, yeah, you can play most of the rollbooks as a ghost, which is why it's not called Ghost Rollbook. Um, So, like, you could play a weaver as a ghost, you could play a guide as a ghost, you could play whatever the first one was as a ghost, the heart. Um, but a tethered <laughs> is like a ghost who feels very comfortable being a ghost. Like you've either been born a ghost or you've become a ghost and you're like, this suits me. This is good. I can do weird stuff with my form now. And uh, yeah, I can kind of push that in interesting ways. Yeah, we, we've got it set up so that um, by default, you play as a human with a spirit and a body. But for any role book, you can say, well, actually, I'm, I'm pure spirit, I'm just tethered, or I'm pure body, I'm grounded, um, I think is the term we're using for that at the minute. Mm. But then there are role books for each of those things specifically for when you're like, that's not just like an incidental fact about me, that's the core of who I am. Yeah. I think Power by the Apocalypse does this quite a lot anyway, is like, Rollbooks are sort of like classes, but they also have like a bit of a story encoded in them. And it's not necessarily like, if I play this rollbook, I will play this exact story. It's like, I will play this sort of character. So like, if you're playing the heart who is like about representing a concept, you're probably going to have an organization that represents that. So you might play out the idea of like, okay, I'm going to keep faith in this thing, but do I keep faith with like the organization that represents that whether that's a church or whether that's a revolution or something else so Mm -hmm. yeah it it kind of has those stories written into them and you could also play the heart as just kind of really strongly representing community values right like if if you don't want to go through a formalized institution you're still a heart if you're someone who you know remembers orally the traditions of the place that you live in and upholds them day to day so it's it's yeah it's really about like the kind of person you are rather than the profession you have or the the skill that you have. But then that's a bit muddy waters when it comes to magic because <laughs> that is also a a skill that you have, but Yeah. But then I think that's why we have I think we have about two or three different role books planned who do like specific magic stuff. Like anyone can do some kind of magic if you try. Um like there's a move to see whether you can do that. But like yeah, for like if you want to be like, I can do magic, there's like a few different role books that tell different stories with that. Like the Weaver is all about kind of being connected to community and people and, and that. And then there's like a role book 
which I think someone played on the podcast actually, called The Unraveling, um, which is like, I can do very big destructive spells. I'm, if you imagine the weaver is like sewing patterns and magic together, The Unraveling is like pulling bits of thread and just doing what they can to like cast spells. And that's the story of like, okay, this is having a destructive impact on me. So like The Unraveling is all about exploring that kind of journey of I'm more powerful, but also there's going to be a consequence over time. So you can see how there's different It's a very self-destructive like, rulebook yeah. for people yes. who enjoy that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> yeah, that's... So speaking of self-destruction, one thing I wanted to talk about is mm-hmm. threats and specifically the, the wear down of characters because mm. that that is very different than a lot of systems. So would you mind talking a little bit about where and character harm do you know how i said earlier like the basic moves are the thing that we've touched the most and edited the most i think also like we lied <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we've had like so many different versions of this but essentially because the world is both physical and spirit based we wanted like a kind of harm that would reflect both of those right like we wanted to be able to be like okay i've got a wound that means something or like oh my spirit's fraying at the edges and like that means something as well we wanted those to have like equal narrative consequence Mm -hmm. and i can't remember what what was the early system like Rin? was it the early system i think was wounds and wear so it was just a it was a three-part track and you could take three physical injuries and three spirit injuries it was just so binary and it, it didn't, <laughs> like, your body and your spirit are so intertwined in a lot of cases that splitting them straight down the middle didn't make sense. And it also didn't leave a lot of room for, like, things that wear you down socially or communally, um, but that hadn't physically sort of punched you in the face. Yeah. And so much of the game is about that that aspect of existing <laughs> as a human being that it was like, well, I don't think this is adequate anymore. Yeah, and even, like... You do, there's like a lot of focus on like journeying and like moving through landscapes in Rhine as well. And it's like, yeah. how do you represent exhaustion? Because like, how do you just, that yeah, harm doesn't be feel really right. tired? Yeah. yeah. And I think when we did the podcast, um, there was like a great moment where Fryn's character, who was a heart called Belka, got really injured. And like in the system, it was like, I have got two harm out of four. And like, that's all there was there. And like, Fryn played it really well where they were walking around like, role-playing that injury like as people do in like those sorts of games and i just sat there like we've got to do better than this like i think a lot of like the design of ryan is like how do we give players enough tools to like role-playing it in interesting ways or how do we give them stuff that is like interesting and evocative but not prescriptive so like the way where works now is when you take where you mark it against something on your sheet so it could be that you mark your wear against one of your emotions or one of your moves or say if you've got a companion with you maybe it like affects them instead and you kind of give like you create your own condition around that and you give a description and it has like some ongoing mechanical effects but you get to decide what that is you don't really track kind of the level of harm that you have anymore you you keep track of the consequences you are living with right (laughs) yeah yeah so it could be like if you marked, let's say you marked a move, that's like the most basic one. Like, depending on how heavy that is, that could give you disadvantage, that could stop you using that, or that could like remove it entirely as like a permanent effect. 
like you you probably won't hit oh, that but wow. like it's a possibility <laughs> and the player taking that gets to say depending on the fiction like what that represents it could be like i took a really heavy hit so therefore i know i can't use this fighting move anymore like i or i get disadvantage using it because like my arm hurts and i, I can't swing a sword as well or it could be like I am one of the robots is like a tendo is someone who has like a piece of land or a farm or something like that. And it could be like, I've, I've taken some wear and I'm going to mark one of my moves, but my move is something related to that farm. And it could be like, oh, actually, stuff on my land got damaged during a storm. Or like, I'm very tired and not able to like look after my land as well. So like, wear can represent that as well. So it's all like... What I wanted to give emphasis to is, like, there are multiple ways of taking it, and the player gets to, like, decide what that means and, like, how they want to roleplay that. Really enjoying it as a new system. And I think, like, it worked well for us in two different ways. Because, like, as Adam said, there were moments where we were roleplaying something that had hit really hard, and we were describing how it would impact our emotions and our moves and the way that we could conduct ourselves in the game. But then on the sheet, it was just like, hmm, two points of harm. But... In the other way, there are moments where, like, you really feel like something should have hurt you more than it did, right? And I, like, I know not everyone role plays that way, but I think for a lot of people, yeah. there's a, a genuine like enjoyment of that dramatic moment of like, oh yeah, you say that this graces me, but actually, no, this this has created a huge wound, or you know, I'll never recover emotionally from this, or I'm <laughs> I'm burning this friendship bridge right here, right now. I'm I'm throwing down my gauntlet. And like being able to choose that for yourself, I think is really powerful because it's it's almost disappointing to have psyched yourself up for this really dramatic moment of of wear, and then like you you roll a particular way, and it goes, oh well, actually that's just one point. You're like, no, I deserve more. Than this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think there's like lots of space that we try to put in the game. Like, where is one example? And then so you have like strain conditions for emotion, which are like. As I said, like you might swear a belief when an emotion gets particularly high or whatever, or like take an oath or something. And then also like bonds are a system that also works in a similar way. And like, I think it's just that thing of like giving those players the tools that they want to kind of do exciting things with that. Like my favorite bit as like a player and a GM is like when a player kind of just inflicts fun consequences on themselves and just, yeah... Yes. And is able to play that up. And it's just like, here you go. Here are some tools that are going to allow you to do that. Um, they're not going to tell you exactly how things work. Like, we're not, it's not like, I'm thinking about like games where you might get like a sanity condition or a particular condition where it's like, you have to role play like this. It's like, it's never yeah. that. Like, it's like, how do you want to treat this situation? If you strain in, let's say, trusting, is that, does that mean that you, uh, do you want to play that so you are like overly trusting of someone? Do you want to play that so like your trusting breaks? Do you want to play that so like you make a really really like stupid promise to someone? And so like there's lots of different spaces for players to like grab a thing and make it their own. It's such a weird practical little niggle as well, but actually like swapping from having wounds and wear, <clears throat> where where was the spirit based harm? and into this new kind of wear system helped us distance a little bit from the kind of tabletop RPG scene implication of anything that's linked to your emotions and your spirit being like your mental health. 
and being able to just mm. step back from that and be like, yeah. no, that's not true. <laughs> that's, <laughs> your spirit is just a thing that's in you, like your body is just a <laughs> thing that's around you. Yeah. Like we talk a lot about you having like a body and a spirit, but it's also like you still have a mind. Like we just don't touch that because like that's not what this game is about. And yeah. that, I think it's hard for a game to be about that anyway. Like that's that's what you're doing. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. You've painted this to me, what I'm always envisioning when I'm looking at this. Oh, and I, I've mentioned this to a couple people interested in these style of games. And it, to me, it reminds me of like a... um like this wonderfully painted Miyazaki film, but it's it's just the the tools to make that with you and your friends. And I think that is so much fun. That is a huge compliment. <laughs> yeah. <The> Miyazaki <laughs> films are like a big influence on the world. Um like like we, we name our influences a lot and like Miyazaki is obviously one and then just like Earthsea and like Banner Saga and Shadow of Colossus and stuff like that. So like if you're imagining those mm -hmm. sorts of worlds like yeah Correct. you're on the right track of like what this game is beautiful <laughs> all right so we're actually we've actually been going for almost 40 minutes here so we're starting to run out of time <laughs> um <laughs> how uh something that i i always find that's really important right now is current world situation with covid19 and listeners of the podcast will know that this is a question that comes up pretty often but how did the pandemic uh, affect the development of Ryan? <laughs> the development... Mm, uh, on a practical side, not so much, because we live in the same house. <laughs> so that was very convenient. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of stretching out the timeline, it impacted it enormously, because obviously the, the mental toll of the last year and a half has been pretty intense. And... Uh, yeah working on a game all about kind of struggling under a huge unknowable landscape incomprehensible to you that you cannot see a way out of was like ah. <laughs> <laughs> luckily there's a lot of beauty in the game as well <laughs> yes yeah absolutely mm. like yeah sorry that got me <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah it's like a weird dark mirror yeah but we know we made it through we made, in some ways yeah. in some ways maybe it was it was good it it gave us a lot of time to, to really sit with the ideas mm -hmm. i think the, it slowed big... us down a little bit but it, mm. it slowed everyone down right so yeah the big challenge for me has been like particularly in playtesting the game yes because like, that's been really mm. difficult yeah like we obviously when we do the podcast we play online because we're all in you know scattered throughout the uk and like yeah so like we're used to online play for that and like that was kind of fine but like when we're playtesting systems it just got really hard like especially because like games shift and change a lot it's like you're playtesting them and you're bringing new ideas yeah. and one of the things that i found hard was a it's really hard to find a good virtual tabletop that'll allow you to like easily create roll books and stuff like we we tried yeah. at least half a dozen different ways to do that from like google sheets to roll 20 to bari to miro and, and all of those things and like the other thing was it's really hard to know where some of the issues are having like i think one of the issues with ryan is for like for a power by the apocalypse game it has a, a few like interlocking systems that are, yeah 
like not complex, but like take a little bit of time to get your head around it. I'd I'd explain it as being a bit like um like a Blades in the Dark style system where it's like oh you have something like stress in Blades in the Dark where when that fills up this happens and like things trigger in those kind of like consecutive ways. And it was very hard to work yeah. out if someone was having a problem with how a system worked, whether that was an issue in me explaining it, an issue with the system, or an issue with like someone not being able to work out how like a spreadsheet version of the character sheet worked. So it's just incredibly yeah. frustrating all the time to be like, oh, how, what is going wrong here? And like diagnosing that is, is kind of hard. And also you have that issue of like, if you're talking to someone online, it's so much harder to get a read on how they're feeling in that moment or like what's going on in their head. There's yeah. no body language, right? So yeah, that, that no. became a fun challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add on to that, Thren? No, I, th- I think the playtesting was definitely the big one. And even just, like, the ability to organise playtesting. People are so burnt out doing things online yeah. that mm. you're like, hey, do you want to come and do our four-hour playtest on a Saturday afternoon? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> if I could come to your house and, like, eat a sandwich, yeah, that would be great. But online, nah, no. And I think we're both, like, physical game designers primarily. Like, we do some digital stuff. But, like, I think both of our instincts are, like, if we're making a role-playing game, like, what is that going to be like at the table? So, like, the current version of the character sheets and, like, my dream character sheets of Ryan are when you take moves and stuff, instead of it just being on a sheet and it, that being four pages long, like, it's a two, two-sided two thing and, like, you stick stuff on, like, you cut out moves and you stick them on and make your own, like, little collage sheet. And, like... Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah, and, like... Stuff like, um, you know, eventually maybe, like, that's the thing you can do with stickers or something like that. And trying to, like, replicate that online is hard. Mm-hmm. Or, like, trying to do stuff of, like, yeah. this thing is next to this thing on the sheet because that indicates, like, a connection is hard to do. And, yeah. But then we would have had to figure all of that out eventually anyway because we yeah. want people to be able to play the game online, right? So <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. it shoved it further the closer to us on the timeline than we wanted, but we wouldn't have escaped it, so... Yeah. All right. So final question, and this is a really important one to me because a lot of people who come in and listen to this podcast are either looking for new things that they can look into and play, or they're trying to develop something of their own. And this is a question for them. So you two have a fair bit of experience developing games and various, um, various ways to interact and do these storytelling modules, I'd like to say. What advice can you give somebody who has no experience and they are looking to start? Make a zine. That's <laughs> <laughs> my number. Like, find <laughs> one idea that you are enamored with and you enjoy and dedicate six pages to it in whatever form that you want. And the act of making it physically, I think, translates playfully a lot of ways in the way that we think about ideas. And I think it's a really good bouncing off point for what about this is interesting to me? What about this do I like want to interact with? What's a fun way to present this for other people? And then also stop caring about other people and make things that you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my advice is largely the same of like, most of my design work, whether it's 
you know, a role-playing game or like a video game like always starts on paper because it's just so much easier and you can do stuff in like a really scrappy and messy way. And you can just if you don't like, like it, crumple you can up a piece of paper, throw it away. Scrunch it up, yeah, throw it away. Yeah, it's, it's way good. more fun than deleting. <laughs> and like, I think for like role-playing games or anything actually, like start small. Like you might have like a really big idea for like your grand game that you want to make. Like this is sort of my grand game that I wanted to make. But like I did a project when I first started out designing where I just made a game that was really small and really scrappy like every week for a year. And I would not recommend doing that. That was hell. But like, yeah, don't do that. Just, just, just make <laughs> lots of small games. Just make stuff that is a few pages or like, it's just a really rough version of the game. And then just put it in front of people, play it, and like, most of your design work will happen through play anyway. As you like, put it in front of people and go like, what do you think? Or like, as friend says, keep it secret to yourself and make the game that you secretly really, really want. You know, like. Think about like why you're designing it and who it's for, and you don't necessarily have to care about other people. If you just want to make a nice solo RPG for yourself, do it. Yeah, be wildly self-indulgent. That's my advice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Both phenomenal advice. It's been a lot of fun. Thryn, Adam, where can people find you? The central hub, I guess, would be furtiveshambles.com, which is our website where you can sign up for our mailing list, it's got our Discord and Twitter links on it. Um, it's got the not quite current version of the Play Kit in, but that will be coming very soon, so it might be available by the time this podcast goes out. Um, but there's a version, either way, of the Play Kit on there that you can download and play and uh, then fill in a form to tell us about what you liked. And yeah, like if you're interested in the game, like there is a mailing list on there and there's a Twitter that you can follow. We're hoping to have a version that we're going to kickstart sometime this year. So if, if you want to either help like playtest to get us there, or like if you're interested in maybe checking out the game once it's on Kickstarter, we've got like some really nice art planned for it. We've got some really good like we we got. Should, should we talk? Are we allowed to talk about the map? I think we can talk about the map. Yeah, we've got some really nice, hopefully things planned that we can print and afford to print of like a nice fabric map to go of the book um, that you can use as like both oh, a book wrap so cool. and like use as the map of your world and like lay it on your table as like your play space. Um, so we've got stuff like that planned. So yeah, if you're interested in the game, you can go and sign up to the mailing list or follow us on Twitter and you'll get updates about it. If you want to like hear the game played, even if it's like a very early version, it still has like a very strong sense of like what the world is and what players like. You can go to flimsyrituals.com or go to these flimsy rituals on Twitter. No, I think it's just flimsy rituals on Twitter. It's just flimsy um, rituals on Twitter. Yeah, and that that's like um, our actual play podcast, and you can like listen to a show and get a sense of like what the game is like through that as well. As always, listeners, these things will be linked down below this this podcast, so you can click there and go directly to where where you can find these really cool projects. I'll let you know that from what I've been fortunate enough to see, this is shaping up to be super beautiful. The color palette blows my mind. <laughs> it's There's something about it, and I, I love it so much. But Adam, Thryn, thank you so much for joining me, especially so last minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank, well, thank you for you having so much us. For it's having been, us. Yeah. yeah, I look forward to seeing more from Ryan everybody so Thryn 
Adam and Ryan, they're all scheduled to launch very soon. Have a good night. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to both Adam and Thryn for coming on to the show this week. Ryan is looking for gameplay testers still, and if their podcast is anything to judge by, it'll certainly be worth your time and a lot of fun to join them for that. So you can check the descriptions down below to find out where you can join in on that. As always, thank you, listener. Because of you, I've had to do some shifts for some things. I know last week I said that we'd be going back to a bi-weekly format, but just with the heavy amount of traffic and a lot of people coming in and asking to come onto the show, we're going to be going back to the weekly format as we've been doing for the past month or so. So remember to tell your friends so that I can keep doing this. If you want to hear more from me, you can find me on Tuesday nights at the Vale of the Void stream for a narrative actual play of the game. It's been really fun, and you can look forward to the podcast format and music coming up shortly. I made a lot of the music for that stream, and it's just been a sweet project to work on. Next week, we're going to be talking with Weston, so those longtime listeners who've kind of been on schedule for launch for a while will recognize that name, and I am super excited to talk to them. So I hope to see you there. Take care. Have a good night. Bye.